55 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Hey, KBC is the home of the only 30-minute nonstop news blitz, a full half hour of rapid-fire news and comment on the most interesting stories every weekday at 8 a.m. with Doug and Leanne and Randy Noon with Dr. Drew and Lauren and 4 p.m. with Jillian and John. All meet, no filler, the 30-minute nonstop news blitz at 8, noon, and 4, only on 790 KABC. Boy, this is, uh, narcissism is, is just rampant, Leanne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the best example of it was uh, a couple was trying to get married in, in the town of Devon, England. And uh, they were there by this uh, lovely, uh, lovely spot by the beach. And there was a, a gazebo, just perfect for, for photographs, for weddings. That's where they held the wedding and all the, all the pictures are going to be taken. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there was a sunbather, uh, a, a gal um, in her bathing suit um, on oh. her towel okay. about 15 feet from the gazebo. And so the, the wedding party politely asked her if she'd please move uh, because, you know, they yeah. have the wedding and then the pictures, you know. Exactly. You, I don't want you, you in could, the background of my photos Yeah, and the sun, the sun could hit you maybe 50 yards away, you know, <laughs> and she wouldn't move. And they tried to talk to her. They had the preacher come up and talk to her. She wouldn't move. And finally, they just started snapping pictures. And as you say, all of the photos have this woman lying on the ground in her bathing suit on her towel. Photobomb. What a (laughs) Yes. It's it's truly the selfie era, the selfie generation. Uh, It was... Who's her mother? Come on, man. That's right. Her, Her mother would be so proud. Exactly right. So uh, you remember Michael Scaramucci or Anthony Scaramucci? He was he was really uh, hot stuff there for about thirteen minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think he th- still thinks he's hot stuff. Yeah, we're that's coming for up sure. on the year anniversary of those eleven days. <laughs> Is it? Oh my gosh! Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah, it, it was a real uh, unprecedented flame out. I mean, here he is a high flyer. He's probably worth hundreds of millions of dollars, making all sorts of money on on Wall Street. Not a terribly happy marriage. Uh, I, I think the the week that it all fell apart in terms of his White House job, she left him too. Didn't she left she? him yeah. just as she was giving birth. Yeah, oh, that's lovely. Not so good. Not so good. But he was just so out there and so bold and so abrasive and aggressive. And I guess Trump liked him. He probably reminded him of a young Donald Trump. So. He brings him on, and he just totally does a terrible job, and he gets fired within what a, a week. I mean, he mm-hmm. was just he was gone. So now he's striking back. In addition to, I think he's teaming up with this my, Michael Avenetti, the, oh, the lawyer for Stormy yeah. Daniels. So they're supposedly going to have like a crossfire a television thing on on CNN. But meantime, uh, Scaramucci is is not shy. He's he's not staying out of the limelight. He's expressing his opinions about uh, Trump's uh, initiatives. And the latest thing he's talking about is uh, President Trump has a uh, a tariff act that everybody's been talking about, and it's dubbed you know. They come up with fancy names for legislation. It's called the Fair and Reciprocal Tariff Act. Fair and Reciprocal Tariff. Now, of course, acronyms instantly jump to mind in Washington. And if you you come up with the acronym for Fair and Reciprocal Tariff, it's the FART Act. (laughs) It's the FART (laughs) Act. And so Doesn't Mr. Scaramucci yeah, is jokes. clever enough to say, I think this legislation stinks. Oh, God. <laughs> he, he, wow. He says, so time clever. to switch tactics. I think we've hit a, a nerve with Randy. He seems oh, no. To, he just likes he, fart jokes. Yeah. That's the five-year-old in him. Uh, I'll, be here, I'll be here all week, Randy. Is that uh, Remember to tip too? your waitresses nice you. and 
the I veal a, is, I is really good. Fart on. <laughs> oh so anyway, uh, it's Scaramucci's revenge. I think. Uh, I think what Trump is finding. Oh, he thinks he's pretty clever, doesn't he? <laughs> Trump is finding you do not mess with the with the mooch. So uh, all right. So he's the, the fart act should be turned down, according to Anthony Scaramucci. Fart act. Hey, folks, uh, stick with us because when we come back, uh, we're going to talk minimum wage and we're going to find out the Supreme Court betting odds for the various candidates. Stick with us on KBC. It's a fart. Whiskey's gone, but I be there. 6.29 time. Talk Radio 790 KBC Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. So, yeah, folks like their whiskey and variations. Mm, yeah. Yesterday, remember, Leanne, we were talking about Walmart coming out with the uh, new wine. Yeah. Uh, their favorite sure, gonna brand. Sure, going to be highly popular. Yeah, their favorite brand is I Can't Believe It's Not Vinegar. <gasps> so that's selling well. But now, on the whiskey front, there's a New Hampshire distillery called Tamworth, and it's a new limited edition whiskey with castorum. It's a What's secretion. That? Well, it's a secretion, Leanne, that comes from a beaver's castor sacs located not too far from the tail by the rodent's bottom. I didn't even know beavers Ew. had castor sacs. I guess it's where castor oil is stored. So the House of Tamworth, Eau de Musk, as it's called, um, it's kind of like a honey bourbon that's been spiked with bee vomit. I didn't know that existed either. Uh, though beaver bum secretions may sound gross with its sweet notes of vanilla and fruit, castorum has actually been used as a flavoring additive for hundreds of years. The sac's excretion exhibits bright and fruit qualities, raspberry and rich leathery notes, along with creamy vanilla aroma. Oh, we've got to stop with this trend. Regardless of if it's beaver sacking or not, flavored whiskey is not whiskey. Cinnamon whiskey is not whiskey. Beaver whiskey is not so whiskey. So you're a purist, Randy. That's right. If you put ice in your whiskey, you're doing it wrong. Did you like Sideways, that Paul Giamatti movie? One of my favorites. Oh, I, I love it. Well, I think he should make a sequel, and instead of searching for the perfect Pinot, he'll be searching for the perfect beaver-flavored whiskey. Gross. That's my idea. K-A-C. I don't care if you're full, just eat it, eat it. 6.39 at time, Talk Radio 790-K-A-B-C. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Nobody better than this guy. Oh, awesome. Just, he is remarkable and... Um, no more American event than the hot dog eating contest at Coney yeah. Island on the 4th of July. And we're fortunate to have on the program Michelle Lesko, contestant in the Nathan's famous 4th of July international hot dog eating contest. Michelle, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. Well, you're quite welcome. Uh, and, of course, uh, last year uh, you're from Tucson, Arizona. You came in second to Miki Sudo. Uh she ate 31 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes, and you are here for a rematch tomorrow. Uh, and, of course, on the guy's side, Joey Chestnut uh, held on to his championship title, uh, 72 hot dog uh, uh, dogs and buns in 10 minutes. So um, lots of questions for I actually it. ate 72 and a half last year. Mickey ate 41. Aha, okay. Woo! There you go. That's my girl. Glad, glad we got that right. Now, <laughs> I just have to get this out of the way. Do you ever get any crap from the PETA and the vegan crowd about uh, the whole hot dog thing? Yeah, and uh, coming from like a nonprofit background in my in my younger days, like they, I, in my opinion, they go about it exactly the wrong way because putting yourself out there and immediately making it a us versus you, mm -hmm. um, you know, putting people on the defensive is not an effective way to get your message across. Like. So, so when that happens, it just seems kind of self-masturbatory, like, 
patting yourself on the back because you're not changing any minds. In fact, they actually got people chanting hot dogs one year, which is, I think, exactly the opposite of what they were going for. So do you ever have, uh, you ever hear about vegan all-you-can-eat contests, like 75 pounds of tofu or something like that? Is that unheard of? kale-eating contest um, in, during the year. There's kale, there's sweet corn-eating contests. Ooh, kale. You know, events that, I, in my opinion, they should go out to those ones where they already have people on their side and make some friends there if they, if they hope to talk to people. Because then it's Tell not it. like a, I'm, I'm screaming at you thing. <laughs> Right. So does anybody ever need the Heimlich maneuver in these hot dog eating contests? I just envision uh, all sorts of terrible medical emergencies. Any life-saving heroics in these competitions? We always have an EMT or several on site for every major league eating contest. I think you should have Mayo Clinic medical doctors standing by. (laughs) Right. Um, but but as far as I know, like it's it's never happened at a contest I've been at where someone's needed to use the EMT. Um, it may have happened in the past, um, and and I mean definitely if someone's looking at an amateur hot dog eating contest somewhere, I would not be any part of it um, unless they have also have an EMT on site. So major league eating is always really good about that, keeping us safe and making sure that. Um, they're prepared for all situations. Good. We're talking with the Michelle Lesko contestant in the Nathan's Famous uh, Hot Dog Eating Contest. Michelle, how do you train for an event like this? Uh, it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of cardio and it's a lot of eating hot dogs. So hitting the gym. Um, and also, I, I raise money for Charity Water. I do these fundraisers every year. So every time we reach one hundred and ten dollars, uh, I'll do a practice run. Um, because that's the only way to really be motivated and after you've cooked up the hot dogs to actually want to eat them. <laughs> Otherwise, it's really, uh, it's really hard to look at an entire table full of hot dogs and feel any motivation to eat. So, so I've been doing a lot of trainings, um, practicing on technique, um, working my way through the kinks. So I think I have some pretty good speed in the first couple minutes. It's just uh, the endurance about halfway through that, that really uh, is where I'm I'm continuing to hone my skills. Now, just curious, is it like running a marathon where you only run maybe 18 miles before the race and then you actually only do the 26 miles when you're running it? Do you actually try to eat as many hot dogs as you can when you're training or do you just do, you kind of work on your technique and you don't try to stuff yourself? Instead of hitting the wall, you throw up on the wall? Is that Uh, what happens? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's kind of a a mixture of both uh, depending on what you're going for. So, um, you know, capacity is always... uh, uh, a concern and knowing how many you can eventually hit, but also you know when you're just working on technique through the first six minutes, you don't need to eat for ten minutes. Yeah. So it depends on what we're going for, and depends on what you know I've I've thrown out there as far as promising, and depends on how many hot dogs I have in the house sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> now, Michelle, are I you know- sponsored by a hot dog company? Well, we got Nathan's, um, so I'm always trying to use Nathan's natural casing dogs. Uh, they don't sponsor me directly, but they sponsor the contest. So uh-huh. um, if you're not using the the same hot dogs, it really kind of makes a difference. Oh, you mentioned Charity Water. Michelle, what's Charity Water? Uh, Charity Water is an organization um, that started here in New York, and basically uh, it, it's awesome because 100% of donations go directly to the field to like build wells and, and different things to help people get clean water. So it, so all over the country, um, in places where people are walking like five miles a day to get dirty water that's going to make their kids sick, um, you know, Charity Water finds those places and builds wells. Uh, so so basically for every $30 um, donated, they 
it pretty much gets one person clean water for life. Very cool. Yeah, Michelle, I, this is a little yeah. sensitive. I don't want to gross out our listeners, but I, I got to assume on, on occasion that some of the less experienced but zealous competitors maybe reach beyond their capacities and uh, have a gastrointestinal upset and take out the first couple of rows. Does that ever happen? <laughs> Yeah, my first qualifier ever, um, I, I didn't know what I was doing, and I didn't know what I was getting myself in for. Um, so after the contest, I I felt okay until I looked to my right, and someone had, uh, let's say, reversed on the back of the competitor next to them. Oh. And then I looked to my left, and someone also had, uh, had a reversal of fortune over there as well. So... I was a little bit horrified, but I still won, so uh, it wasn't Well, that's great. Okay, okay, I'm wait. horrified at uh, dipping a hot dog bun in water. Yeah. And that would cause me to have a gastrointestinal upset. That isn't a problem for you? Uh, you know, water's not that bad, but I, I during one of my practices, I'm always working on technique, and I tried Kool-Aid for the first time oh. uh, because a lot of the competitors will use Kool-Aid. And no, that is not for me. Like, in the video that uh, I, I put up for that, like, you can see my face immediately. Like, there's no way that I would ever do no, that to myself again. I'm just curious. When you're done with the competition, because you obviously cannot throw up to win the competition, but afterwards, do you get, once it's all, like, said and done, do you try to go on the back and just get rid of all of it? As your attorney, uh, Michelle, you don't have to answer no, the that. Only, you can take the fifth. Yeah. The only time you really feel... That is that first, you know, 20 minutes that you're on stage when they're counting plates, and then you get some burps out. So after that, it's not that, that <laughs> much of a problem. Get a little air? All right. Well, um, you've, you've solved all the mysteries. 20 minutes when they're counting plates, that is like you are fighting to the death. If you've pushed yourself to your limits, like sometimes, sometimes that air that you've swallowed during the contest mm -hmm. is uh, not doing you any favors. Michelle so Lesko, good luck on the Big Nathan's contest. Have a great 4th of July, hey. if possible. Hey, I'm going to have an excellent July 4th. Yeah. All right. Take care. That's awesome. I think I'm in love. Yeah. He's kind of girl time. right there. Talk Radio 790K, BC Royal. And for Doug and Bill Thomas, how are things looking on the freeways? 657 The Time, Talk Radio 790K, ABC Royal Oaks. In for Doug McIntyre. He stick with KBC all day. we got Peter Tilden coming up 10 to noon. Dr. Drew and Lauren Savan, noon to 3. And Julian Barbary and John Phillips, the drive home, 3 to 6 p.m. So in the news, Leanne, nine one one calls, wacky calls. Yeah. You know they're funny. On the other hand, you know it takes resources away. Of course, people call. How do you make Toll House cookies again? Yeah, exactly. You I know. can't get a cheeseburger. Uh, spiders in the bathtub. I'm really afraid of them. Uh, or uh, I've seen several stories about cats. Cats have me cornered because cats can be, you know, oh pretty God. cranky with the claws and the teeth and so on. Well, here's cats one. could kill you. Yeah, absolutely. You're just lucky that they don't uh, flex their muscles. So here's a fun one, though, from North Ridgeville, Ohio. Guy calls 911, and he says, uh, I'm being followed by a pig. I don't know what to do. Uh, 5.26 a.m., we received a call from a male who said he was walking home on Center Ridge from the train station in Elira. Elira, I don't know where that is, but it's in Ohio. And uh, so... The cops show up and they find, to their surprise, a very sober male walking eastbound on Center Ridge near Maddock Road from the Amtrak station, and he was being followed by a pig. Okay. So the patrolman managed to wrangle the pig into his cruiser. Yeah. And uh, the pig was later returned to its owner. And, of course, the cop, I think the cop was a little too sensitive here. 
uh, he said to the press, we will mention the irony of the pig in a police car now so that anybody who thinks they're funny, um, they're actually unoriginal and trying too hard. So, mm. yeah, it's it, it happens. I mean, but. if the guy was so afraid, I mean, that sounds like the pig was just trying to follow him home. Well, like, like I'm lost. <laughs> but if he was able to wrangle him and put him in the cop car, it didn't seem like he was that but bad. pigs are he not dogs. A, but I don't think pigs people pigs are follow smarter people. Than, right? Some people say pigs are smarter than dogs. What so. did the guy try to do to the pig that made the pig want to follow him? <laughs> Randy, Salivating I, while he was looking Randy, at him. I don't know why your mind would, would go there. But you know what I think is I think the guy missed a bet. Instead of calling nine one one, he could have should have called swine one one swine one. There you go. Wow. Hey folks, okay. we got three more hours. Stay with us on KABC. Wake up! Wake me up before you go. And get smart. It's McIntyre in the morning with Doug McIntyre, Leanne Tweeden News. Randy Wang Sports and Bill Thomas Traffic. Seven oh six, the time. Talk Radio seven ninety K A B C. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Happy Tuesday to you all. I know everybody's getting ready to bail out for the holiday. Hey, KBC is the home of the only 30-minute non-stop news blitz, a full half hour of rapid-fire news and comment on the most interesting stories every weekday at 8 a.m. with Doug, Leanne, and Randy, noon with Dr. Drew and Lauren, and 4 p.m. with Jillian and John. All meet, no filler. The 30-minute non-stop news blitz at 8, noon, and 4, only on 790 KABC. So Harvey Weinstein has been charged with yet further crimes. And to help us sort out the situation, we are delighted to welcome back our friend Gloria Allred. Gloria, how are you? Birthday girl. Fine, thank you. Happy birthday to you. A little bird told us uh, this is the big day. Congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, I'm looking forward to uh, my birthday celebration today. But uh, as you know, I'm working every day, uh, including my birthday. And thank you so much for inviting me to be on about this very important subject. So, uh, yeah, tell, yes. tell us what you know about uh, the new developments. As I understand it, uh, Harvey Weinstein's been hit with additional counts of sexual assault. Uh, they, it was announced, I guess, yesterday, including charges relating to a third new victim. And uh, one of the headlines is uh, you could be looking at the life behind bars. Uh, I, I know you, uh, you have represented some victims. Uh, tell us uh, what you know about this new development. Well, the new charge, uh, Royal and Leanne, is a criminal sex act in the first degree, which is classified as a violent B felony, and also a sexual predator, uh, which is called a Class A11 felony in New York, and it carries a potential of life in prison. So these uh, charges, uh, in reference to a third woman, uh, are very, very serious. And, of course, Mr. Weinstein's defense counsel uh, has uh, suggested that his client is going to plead not guilty uh, in the arraignment of, on this uh, superseding indictment, uh, which will be in court this coming Monday in New York. Uh, but uh, just because he pleads not guilty, of course, doesn't mean that he is not guilty, and it doesn't mean that he is... Uh, you know uh, that, that it, you know he could also be acquitted. We don't know. 
but this is the beginning of something very, very serious for Mr. Weinstein. It is the third woman uh, who is alleged to be the victim by the Manhattan prosecutor. And uh, so I'm going to be watching it with a great deal of interest, as everybody knows. Uh, uh, I do represent numerous uh, accusers of Harvey Weinstein, uh, both in civil matters and, um, you know, in a lawsuit, and in addition, in bankruptcy court for the, against the Weinstein Company. So uh, I'm following it closely. I'm just curious. You guys are the lawyers, but is this something with the third woman? Are they all within, like, are they all more recently with Harvey Weinstein? Is this, like, in, inside the statute of limitations, or is there none of that for a sexual assault case? Well, that's a good question. The statute of limitations, which is always the arbitrary time period set by law, different in every state, different for criminal and different that for civil, even sometimes within the same state. In New York, the allegations uh, that are made where there are three women are alleged to be the victims of different types of charges, um, these are all, according to the Manhattan DA, within the statute for criminal prosecution. Mm. Uh, now, whether they are within the statute for civil cases is a different issue, uh, but definitely, according to the Manhattan DA, within the statute of limitations for criminal prosecution, or they would not have been filed. All of them are as a result of an indictment, which means that there was testimony before a grand jury in secret, and as a result, the grand jury decided to indict. We're talking about Gloria Allred. Uh, Gloria, a lot of folks have been critical of Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus Vance Jr. They said he's been moving too slowly. He takes big bucks from a lot of powerful companies and people, I, I think, including uh, Harvey Weinstein's uh, companies. Uh, what's your take on this? I mean, do you do you think that uh, there was some funny business in terms of prosecutors being slow because uh, of donations? And do you think that there should be a rule against donations, that prosecutors shouldn't be allowed to take money from folks? I don't know the answer as to whether that had anything to do with uh, the uh, failure to prosecute earlier in Manhattan. Let's also re- I'm not here to defend Cyrus Vance, the district attorney, or uh, you know, or to criticize him. I'm happy that charges have finally been filed. Amen. And I think that's what's important, and a women as well. But you know, I I, I don't know. Uh, all I can tell you is obviously there is a very serious investigation, also criminal investigation of Mr. Weinstein, by the Los Angeles Police Department, by the Beverly Hills Police Department by London uh, police, and there have not been charges filed yet uh, by any in any other jurisdiction. Do you think that they're watching may may New happen. York? Do you Pardon think me? they're watching what happens in New York? Well, I, I have no doubt that they're all aware of what's happening in New York, and it may be that uh, New York is aware of what is or is happening elsewhere as well. But, you know, nothing happens either in the criminal justice system or the civil justice system as quickly as it does on television. And, uh, you know, this is an unusual case. We all know that sometimes uh, in a high-profile case, persons who allege that they are victims are reluctant to come forward because of victim-shaming, victim-blaming, because the defense is well-funded and will be attack dogs, 
And so there are all kinds of reasons that even if an accuser has been willing to go public, that they may not be willing to subject themselves to the vigorous and scathing, potentially, cross-examination by defense attorneys in a court of law. It doesn't mean that they're not telling the truth or they're not willing to participate in the criminal justice system. And I do encourage everyone to, you know, speak to law enforcement if they have information that may be relevant to a criminal case, high profile or no profile. But I can do, I can and do understand why some yeah, accusers may be reluctant, and that's why it's important for them to speak to attorneys to get the proper information about how they might be supported if they do testify, uh, and also what the risks of testifying are. So, Gloria, Harvey Weinstein, uh, as you said, and as uh, we've read in the news, uh, is going to claim all the sex was consensual. Uh, What do you think his chances are of getting the same result Cosby got in the first trial, where in that trial, as you know, just the one victim plus one additional uh, witness was allowed to testify? Uh, I have no idea what's going to happen in terms of how many people might be testifying in the New York situation. Uh, but do you think that Weinstein is going to try to follow the Cosby script, go after uh, the the one or small number of, of victims, and just try to, to hope that at least one of the jurors will say, well, yeah, you know, the casting couch phenomenon was real. Uh, it may well have been consensual. Well, that's really important because it is an important issue and was in the first criminal trial involving Mr. Cosby where the prosecution wanted, I believe, 13 prior bad act witnesses, in other words, other accusers, Royal, uh, to be able to testify. The defense wanted none. The court only allowed one, happened to be my client, who testified in the first trial. And But the, it was not enough to have just one, and the jury was deadlocked. In other words, they couldn't reach a decision. Hence, the second criminal trial took place because the prosecutor refiled. Same judge, second time. But this time, the, defense, the prosecution asked for, third, uh, I believe, 19 prior bad act witnesses to be permitted to testify. It's discretionary. In other words, the judge gets to decide how many. Again, the defense wanted zero. Uh, but this time, the same judge decided in the Cosby second trial that five could testify, prior bad act accusers and witnesses, and they did, the majority of whom also were my clients. I'm happy to say there was a conviction on three felony counts a second time. Now, moving forward to New York and to Harvey Weinstein, it will not surprise me if other accusers uh, are permitted to testify, that is, if the prosecution seeks to uh, allow them to uh, put on other witnesses, uh, other accusers, even if there is no charge filed on behalf of the victim, that is in reference to that victim, can they still testify? Again, it's going to be within the discretion of the judge in New York, and it will not surprise me if the Manhattan prosecutor seeks to to do that. Of course, this case is now different in the sense that there are three alleged victims, not just the one in the Cosby case, Andrea Constant, but three alleged to be victims. Their identity has not been disclosed by the Manhattan DA, although many people are speculating, and many people are speculating that one of them, the third one is my is my client, which I'm not commenting on that um, because uh, I just don't uh, I, I, I'm not commenting on 
who that third person may be who may be the victim in the New York case. But all I can say is uh, nothing will surprise me in this case, and it won't surprise me if the defense objects vigorously to having any other accusers testify if they are not uh, alleged victims of the criminal charges filed. So we're talking with Gloria Allred. Uh, Gloria, the second Cosby trial, a guilty <clears throat> verdict. What factors in your mind led to the different result the second time around? There was the Me Too movement. There was the multiple accusers. Or was it something else or a combination of all that? Well, I think it's a combination of uh, the, you know, five prior bad act witnesses being, test- being able to testify. And I might add they did very well. They were very strong. I mean, they were not letting the defense get away with anything like mischaracterizing their testimony or or attempting to discredit them. I mean, they really fought back. I was so proud of them uh, and their courage. But in addition, in the Bill Cosby case, uh, the defense, uh, excuse me, uh, well, uh, the prosecution was allowed to uh, admit uh, the actually defense wanted it. Uh, the testimony of Mr. Cosby. Um, well, first of all, the uh, the amount of the settlement came in, uh, in the civil case came in, uh, and uh, also, which was very substantial, millions. So it was uh, interesting that the defense thought, gee, this is good, it makes Andre Constant look, look like a gold digger, and the prosecution liked it because it showed evidence that there must have been some bad conduct or he wouldn't have given her millions of dollars. Yes, and I think that was important, although many jurors have not chosen to speak out about why they decided to convict, so we don't know, so I'm speculating. But uh, in addition, uh, according to one juror, the fact that Mr. Uh, Cosby's testimony came in, that he admitted in the civil deposition his testimony under oath, that he had given, uh, first he said women, then changed it to woman, singular, uh, uh, quaaludes with the intent to have sex. <clears throat> now, when he was asked, did you, uh, did they know they were getting uh, quaaludes, uh, you know, with the intent to sex, have sex, there was an objection by the defense, so he never answered that. Yeah. But just the fact that he did admit uh, giving quaaludes, uh, I think, uh, might very well have had influence on a number of jurors, not just the one who said that it influenced them. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. So most people, I would think, say that uh, a huge amount of good has come from the Me Too movement. Do you worry at all about the Me Too movement creating a situation where, in <laughs> some cases, an accused is actually innocent, but is considered or even found guilty or libel because of the momentum caused by the Me Too movement? Uh, well, I, in other words, I could translate that to, am I concerned that women may be believed uh, when in the past many times they have not been believed? That's how I would reframe that. Uh, I would say that, no, I'm not concerned, and I'll tell you why, Royal, because you know, in, as as you know, as a very experienced and prominent attorney yourself, there are many safeguards in a court of law, and those safeguards have to do with the rules of evidence, and and therefore, and, and I mean that's the best test uh, is you know cross examination and and the rules, the due process that is afforded to a defendant in a court of law. 
I agree that on the Internet, on hashtag MeToo, or anywhere else, that anyone can say anyone about anything about anyone anytime. And there are no rules. There's no due process on the Internet. However, of course, if someone accuses someone else of a crime, they could be sued for defamation, and then they have to face those consequences. But in a court of law, there are consequences, and there are rules. So uh, <clears throat> I am I, not concerned, and as I say, I was just thrilled that women apparently were believed, these accusers, when they testified in the Cosby case. And it was so shocking to me they were that they were believed because it's become so normalized that women are not believed. But I think still it's a problem. One woman accusing a rich, powerful, famous man is sometimes not believed. But if you have many women, then sometimes one woman will be believed. So, um, yeah, I know that there are a lot of men who feel they're falsely accused, and some of them have been falsely accused. But, of course, there are many women who truly have been raped who have also not been believed. Gloria, you've been uh, critical of statutes of limitations in various contexts and worked to, to try to reform those laws. Do you think statutes of limitations have any place in the law as to any causes of action? I mean, you know, the phenomenon of uh, memories fading and evidence disappearing certainly exists. Would you just wipe them off the books for everything, not just uh, sexual abuse type of crimes? I wouldn't go that far, Royal, but I do think that there are certain... Um, types of crimes uh, and, and types of civil wrongs where there should not be a, a civil, uh, a, a criminal or civil statute of limitations. In other words, because an arbitrary time period set by law, what that means is after a certain period of time, no criminal prosecution could be brought, even if there's evidence that could prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and also that a victim could not have access to justice in the civil justice system to make that wrongdoer accountable. And I don't think there should be, for example, a statute of limitations on criminal or civil child sexual abuse. I think that a person should be able to have access to courts, and I've done many such cases, to prove, uh, to attempt to prove that they have been the victim of child sexual abuse or adult sexual abuse and rape and sexual assault. Uh, and I, uh, so, yes, we've eliminated it criminally in California. I've worked with many uh, of the alleged uh, of the accusers, the alleged victims of Mr. Cosby. We were successful in eliminating criminally in, in California. But civilly, we have, still have a long way to go to eliminate it uh, for civil claims. And that's important because sometimes DAs won't prosecute because... They say, we don't think we can prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, then let's let the victim have access to the civil system yes. where they can attempt with a lower burden of proof to prove that, uh, you know, the accused person did victimize them sexually when they were children and did, uh, you know, or rape them. And let's make that wrongdoer, that accused person, accountable at least in a civil system, if not in the criminal system. It's all about access to justice for victims. That's what I'm all about. Hey, Gloria Allred, it's always great to talk to you. Amen. You have a wonderful birthday and Thank have you. a happy, happy Fourth of July, and we'll talk to you soon, I hope. Thank you. Happy Fourth to all of you. Thank you. See you later. Have a great Seven, day. Bye-bye. 7.25 The Time, Talk Radio 790-KABC, Royal in for Doug and Bill Thomas. How are things looking on the roads?
853 The Time, Talk Radio 790K ABC, Oral Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. You know, Leanne, people have been speculating about whether or not Democrats or Republicans are going to benefit from the lack of civility, about from the anger. Uh, on the one hand, you, you know, you got De Niro going out in front of the Tony Awards and F saying Trump. F Trump and getting Twice. a standing ovation. Yeah. Some people react to that by saying, well, they just reelected Donald Trump because his base is going to be so energized. And in fact, you know, there, we've seen articles recently about a, a lot of folks, middle American types are saying, you know, we, we don't agree with everything. Trump's a little wacky. He's over the top. But basically, he's doing a good job. And we really don't like the viciousness of these attacks. And, you know, you've got the Maxine Waters situation where essentially she's she's calling for, for something that could well lead to violence, and she just doesn't really care that, that that's the logical outcome. You know, when you say you see a cabinet member, you confront them, you surround them, you push back on them, you tell them that you're not welcome at the restaurant of the mall, what does she think is going to happen? Yeah. But her answer is, well, you know, whatever will be, will be. You better shoot straight if you're coming after me. And then, of course, Peter Fonda. But... There's a CNN poll out that suggests maybe the Democrats are actually going to be uh, helped by all this because the question was posed to the Democrats and Republicans, are you more likely than usual to get to the polls this off-year election and vote? 58% of Democrats said we are more likely than usual to get out and vote. Only 41% of Republicans said that they're more likely to vote. So maybe the Democrats, and especially they could be get a real jump start from the fear that Roe versus Wade is going to go away, all oh, the same-sex marriage is going to be reversed, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be this hostile takeover by Donald Trump. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see as the midterms approach. 855 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Stay with us. Is McIntyre in the morning with Doug McIntyre, Leanne Tweeden News, Randy Wang Sports, and Bill Thomas Traffic. Nine oh six, the time. Talk Radio seven ninety K A B C. The place Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre today, and I guess we're pretty much officially kicking off. The most tragic traffic day of the year. Yeah. They, they say it's just going to be hugely ugly. So as you slog... It's like a nine-day weekend. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> listen to KBC. Peter Tilden's coming up at 10. Then uh, Dr. Drew and uh, Lawrence Vaughn, noon to 3. And Jillian Barbary and John Phillips, 3 to 6, the drive home. you got to stick with us. You need all the help you can get. Hey, the 790 KBC What the Hell is That contest is on vacation until Monday the 9th in the 30-minute non-stop news blitz. But if you'd like to study up, we've posted the latest sound at kbc.com. So give it a listen and get ready to win cash from 790 KABC. The minimum wage, big story in the news lately. And fortunately, we've got somebody to help us sort it out. Dr. David Smith, he's an econo economics professor at Pepperdine. Dr. Smith, welcome to KBC. How are you? Uh, it's good to be with you today. I'm doing well. Thank you. Terrific. Well, uh, the L.A. County and L.A. City uh, minimum wage is going up. The uh, entire state of California is, is seeing uh, increases. Um, what is your take overall on the, the concept of uh, uh, the minimum wage being slowly dragged up as a result of uh, some uh, political decisions? 
Well, if we're going to have a minimum wage as a safety net, it does make sense to make sure it keeps up to date with the cost of living. And the cost of living has gone up pretty significantly over the last uh, 15, 20 years. And so um, it's probably time for an increase. I'm not a, a personal proponent of the minimum wage, but I think uh, with as robust as the L.A. economy now, the most recent increase isn't likely to have a big impact. Well, when you say it makes sense to you know, track the uh, cost of living and so on, the cost of living hasn't been going up that much. We haven't had much inflation uh, lately. Um, how do you fight against the syndrome where one politician says, doggone it, I want you to have 14 bucks an hour, and the other politician says, oh, I can top that, 17 an hour. And, you know, the Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton back and forth. I mean, they're not making recommendations or decisions based on, you know, thoughtful economic study. They're doing it based on what's going to get them the most votes. Yeah, well, economists have been, uh, uh, some have some moderate success in getting politicians to listen to them, but uh, not always, and, and certainly, as you note, it's a political issue. I think one of the things that we just need to be aware of is that as you raise the minimum wage, some people are going to lose their job, and there's there's plenty of studies to show this, so that there are winners and losers with any sort of policy change like a minimum wage, and uh, we need to be concerned about those that lose their jobs. So a lot of people are saying that in this kind of superheated economic climate where uh, you know, happy days are here again, the, the traditional problem of minimum wage going up, equaling layoffs, equaling automation, equaling not, not expanding, uh, workforces maybe cutting folks down from 40 hours to 30. Some people are saying, well, it's not such a big deal because, my goodness, the market is going great. Employers are actually hiring a lot more, and so they're willing to pay a lot more. In that sense, is, is the negative impact of a minimum wage increase kind of muted? I think there's uh, some truth to that, but if you consider the L.A. region, there's about 6 million jobs in L.A. County, and there's about a half million jobs that are going to be, that have uh, an average wage below the, the new minimum wage threshold. So if you look at retail, cashier, uh, personal care aides who work with the, the elderly, food preparation workers, uh, that those groups of workers right now in L.A. County earn uh, less than $12 an hour. So the minimum wage will impact um, a significant portion of uh, low skill, you know, lower lower wage workers in the LA County region. So there's some truth there because the economy has been robust and it may not have as much impact uh, if um, we weren't already in a tight labor market. But still, there is a large swath of workers who earn less than uh, twelve or thirteen twenty-five an hour right now. We're talking with Dr. David Smith, professor of economics at Pepperdine, and of course. You are a professor of economics. I took two economics classes at UCLA, and they got a little too mathy for me, so I, <laughs> I quit at that point. Same thing with astronomy. I thought, gee, I like astronomy. Well, I like too, to look through my too telescope. Too many numbers and zeros and yeah. decimals. I showed up in my astronomy <laughs> class, and the professor immediately started talking math. So, uh, so with that as a, uh, uh, as a disclaimer, let me run this by you, Dr. Smith. I get the idea that we like the idea of people having a living wage. I get the idea that cost of living goes up, and, and there's an argument for increasing people's wages. Of all the people on the planet who would have to subsidize folks to pay them more than that which the market would give them based on the market saying you are worth X dollars in wage, of all the people on the planet, why would we penalize 
you know, small businesses, people who are maybe on the brink of, of bankruptcy, barely struggling to, to get by. Why wouldn't we just as a society say, well, we're going to tax people in general uh, based on the progressive income tax and let the government pay folks to bring them up to what we think is a minimum, a living wage, as opposed to, you know, Joe's hardware who might go broke because he's forced to pay somebody 15 bucks an hour instead of 10, which is what the market would say that person is worth. Well, I, and there's many who would agree with you, and I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm generally in your camp. Uh, as you know, the minimum wage is a little lower for those fewer than 25 employees, but it's still marching upward uh, over time to $15 per hour. And um, I tend to believe, that many economists believe, there are better ways to help the, um, the poor among us uh, through the inter- earned income tax credit or find ways to um, help the uh, lower-wage workers with uh, food and, and rent credits and vouchers and those sorts of things aren't as distorting, as you note. Um, once you, 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 you distort the prices in these labor markets, you can get a lot of disruption, unemployment, um, idle capacity, uh, businesses closing down. So I, I would tend to agree with you. There are better ways if, uh, in terms of designing social safety nets that aren't as disruptive than a minimum wage. So how aggressive is the move toward automation? I mean, we hear these fun stories about, you know, Flippy the Flipper, the robot that literally flips hamburgers. Don't need a human being for that. And we hear about Amazon with their fulfillment centers, these gigantic warehouses with drones flying around in them. And and increasingly, there are no human beings flying around in them. There are a bunch of robots. Uh, We're told by the fast food folks and Amazon, oh, no, we're not trying to take your job away. We still need humans. Yeah, we still need them. (laughs) We need one or two. We we just want to simplify and and make things happy and safe for everybody. Uh, What do you see on the horizon in terms of if we keep pushing with the Bernie Sanders approach of $20, $25 minimum wage uh, per hour, uh, are, are we going to see a, a real strong push? Isn't there going to be a, a huge uh, a push toward uh, automation, for example? I don't see human beings at parking lot uh, entrances anymore. Always I used to see them, and now it's simply stick your card in, no humans required. Yeah, so you, as you know, we're already seeing it, right? We're already seeing, because labor is relatively expensive in the United States, and it's getting more so. And there's, you know, there's a, demographically, there's uh, fewer individuals that are, are willing to take uh, these low-pay jobs. So I think you're going to see a lot more automation in food preparation, fast food restaurants, um, and particularly retail cashiers. And you already see that, right? When you go into your grocery store, you see a lot more automation that's occurring. Sure. So, and, and you're going to see those trends accelerate. It's not like we're going to wake up one day and, and, and the world's going to be running, run by machines. But we are seeing, you know, gradual changes, and you know, autonomous driving is is on the horizon, and 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 likely to become a reality at some level for the next one to three years. So we'll see the changes occur before us, and really, that's somewhat independent of uh, the minimum wage discussion because um, because you know, labor is relatively expensive in the United States. So we're finding ways as as machines get cheaper to utilize them more in production.
Yeah, and at the grocery store, it's a perfect example. Uh, Leanne, I don't know if you try this, but yeah, you know, every once in a while, I go try to check myself out, mm-hmm. and I of course, it it's, a, it's a disaster. You know, what am I? How am I supposed to charge a banana? <laughs> but I, I feel so sad for the checker because the checker comes up to you with a tear in her eye. May I help you? May I help you get better at this so they can fire me so I can't feed my children? I thought they were just there so you wouldn't steal anything. <laughs> well, yeah, they follow me around mm-hmm. for that. But I mean, and and Doctor Smith. Uh, in my field, I've been working at a law firm for a few decades. When I started, we had a secretary per lawyer, or maybe the secretary would work for two lawyers. And then a decade later, oh, two or three. And now it's five or six lawyers per secretary. We've automated like crazy. Plus, with the computers, you know, lawyers basically type their own stuff up a lot anyway. But, I mean, when you say, you know, labor is relatively expensive, when businesses look at their uh, balance sheets, don't doesn't it jump out that at them that, in general, the biggest, the, the most vast source of expense is human beings with all their pesky health benefits and uh, and and all the other things, uh, yeah, <laughs> attendant to to being a, a human. Take bathroom breaks. Yeah, oh. I mean, isn't that really the biggest chunk? Yeah, it definitely is. And I think you point out a good uh, a good illustration in that the future is likely to be us working with machines more. So we're already doing, as you notice, there's not maybe as much need for administrative assistance as there has been in the past because we have technology tools that help us be more productive. So I do think the future is more about us working alongside automation and technology to help us become more productive versus uh, machines doing all of our jobs. Not always. Some some professions will be impacted, just like there aren't as many travel agents around anymore because just the nature of the economy and the way that we do business and we can search for our own airfares and those sorts of things have changed over time. So we'll see changes, but I think we'll see a lot more working with technology to get our work done. Yeah, well, I used to think that I'd be okay with working with machines, but then I watched Westworld. Mm. And I'm telling you, at first I thought that blonde lady was really nice. But then when (laughs) she turned out to be a killer robot, uh, I don't like her anymore. I mean... You know, it's it's a pretty pretty scary future we're looking at. Hey, Doctor David Smith, or ex though, machina. If you saw that one too, yeah, that's a no, scary. no, I think I'll. I well, won't Elon see Musk that. think they're going to take over the world. <laughs> Got to be careful. <laughs> Economics professor at Pepperdine. Um, I hope you don't resent that whole dismal science uh, moniker. That doesn't get you down, does it? <laughs> we wear it proudly. So okay. <laughs> nice. You have a great Fourth of July. All right, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. It's a uh, it's economists are just a barrel of monkeys, aren't they? I mean, that, that guy, he's got to take it down a notch, yeah. you know, the the enthusiasm. Next thing you know, he'll be uh, hosting this show for Doug. Um 918 Talk Radio 790 KABC. Hey, would you like to go see Electric Light Orchestra folks? You can win two tickets. All you got to do is be the third caller to KBC right now. Jeff Lynn's ELO at the Forum August 5th 1-800-222-KABC is the number. So, uh, over the years, Leanne, uh, it's fun to see uh, all the creative excuses folks have for a DUI. Mm-hmm. But this one, I think, uh, tops them all. This guy's name is St- Scott Allen Garrett. He's uh, 56 years old, and he uh, lives in Martin County, Florida. And oh, so he Florida. was stopped by the cops. He's, uh, he's, his Nissan is kind of drifting a little left and right. Uh, he actually wasn't speeding. He was only going 55. It's a 70-mile-an-hour speed limit. That probably was a red flag right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. So the cops stop him, and the first thing they notice is they smell some alcohol from inside the Nissan. Mm-hmm. 
And so they say, license and registration, sir. He, he looks for his license for about three minutes, and he can't find it. So finally the cop says, sir, your license appears to be on the passenger seat next to you. Uh, so there it is. You know, he, he fishes it out. Next to the wallet was a bottle of 92-proof Sailor Jerry Spiced Rum. Now, Leanne, I don't know. I'm not oh familiar God. with Sailor Jerry Spiced Neither Rum. Am Randy, I. maybe? Are you a... Uh, are you a fan? But the proof. Oh, Sailor Jerry's a fun one. Yeah, a little stronger than Bacardi. Not as strong as 151. Not necessarily Everclear, but you're going for it with a uh, 92 oh, proof. Well, it came to the right place. You're probably the world's leading expert on Sailor Jerry's. On most alcohol. So a trooper pointed to his wallet. He struggled to get the license out. That took about a minute to get the license out of the actual wallet. Of so then it's difficult they say, when well, you're drunk. You know, where, where, you been, where you been coming from, uh, sir, Mr. Garrett? Well, he wasn't sure where he was coming from. Finally, he said, oh, it was my girlfriend's house. Yeah. So he's not wearing shoes, which probably is illegal. I think you're supposed to wear shoes when you drive. He said, well, my girlfriend pissed me off, and they quarreled about his dog. Mm. So that's really the cause of the whole thing. Uh, now we come to the fun part. We come to the creative excuse. Uh, inside the car was a schnauzer. And Aww. Garrett actually had the gall, the chutzpah, to say to the cop, the dog was driving. He blamed the schnauzer, said he was behind the wheel. The you can blame I, on a fart on a dog. You can't blame driving I thought he was going to say the dog was drinking the 92 proof. I don't know. Maybe he was. Mm. Give, give him a, a breath test. So then the trooper asks Garrett, how many, how many drinks were you, have you consumed? And he says, a bunch of drinks. So he... he kind of gave himself away right there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oops. So his blood alcohol content was 0. .252. Oh. Yeah. So oh, man. that's uh, wow. that's the deal. Um, another guy who's in a certain amount of trouble is Michael Cohen. The feds are after him. Uh, Stormy Daniels is after him. But uh, the speculation is, and it was all over CNN yesterday. CNN yesterday it was breathless. He's going to flip. He may flip against the president. So it's uh, mob talk with the Cohen story. Yeah, it's very he's only loyal to his family. He's going to flip on <laughs> the Trump wife. stuff. Yeah. yeah, and that's the point here. I don't get why they concluded that just because he said, you know, I, I'm loyal to my family. I know in the past he said he'd take a bullet for Donald Trump, but does that really mean that he is about to flip on him? Uh, I, I don't think that's necessarily true. I guess some people are saying he's angling for a pardon. Uh, but I can see that. How could Trump pardon this guy when it's his own fixer, his own attorney? It would make Trump look so incredibly guilty, to uh, to quote the producer's line. But, I mean, the guy, uh, he was he sat down, Cohen did with George Stephanopoulos of ABC uh, the other day. And he said, you know, I didn't, didn't collude with Russia. He Apparently, Cohen did travel to Prague a couple of months before That's the— not Russia. No, it's, you know, close by. Russia adjacent. Yeah. But, you know, a couple of months before the election, and he met with Kremlin operatives as part of this collusion scheme, allegedly. But he denies it. He denies all the Christopher Steele stuff. So, you know, he's, he's, making, he's making the public outreach— uh, but I, I don't think there's any definitive evidence that he's uh, he's going to flip. Uh, and if he does, you know, who knows what he might have against Trump. 923 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Stay with us. And yeah, let's check in with Bill Thomas. How are things looking on the freeways? 